is your host for the podcast, Where Do We Go From Here? That's the question, the answer, forward, always forward. As we head into the stretch run of the election, I wanted to have a discussion about the, uh, the Republican and Democratic National Conventions from the last uh, couple of weeks. I have entitled this The Challenger versus The Champion. I am an opinionated person, not a political operative. This is my common sense approach to what I saw the last two weeks. It is not my intent to try and change anybody's vote, opinion, or anything like that. Why? Because 95 to 97% of the people have already made up their minds. So having said that, here's my opinion. Let me start with an analogy using sports. I like basketball. For the past five years, the Golden State Warriors have played in the NBA Finals. For the five years, their opponent was the Cleveland Cavaliers. That had never happened before. Some folks were tired of the same two teams, but yet every team had a chance to dethrone them. They equally had the entire offseason to improve their chances of upgrading their rosters to enhance their opportunity of winning. Every team had that chance to do that through various means of acquiring talent, recruitment, compensation, a whole bevy of avenues to dethrone the champion. Last year, when the Toronto Raptors dethroned the defending champion Golden State Warriors. Golden State were missing was missing at least 40% of their starters, and yet there was no sympathy for the champs. They had backup players and offered no excuses. They accepted defeat graciously and with humility. Now, when I say they lost two all-star players, they lost two all-star players and possibly 50 points a game, and yet no complaints. That analogy is tantamount to the effect of COVID-19 on the economy, the exposure of systematic inequality on racism, criminal justice that should allow anybody and nobody to offer excuses. No sympathy. You have all the tools at your disposal, so whatever changes are necessary should have been made. So you can't talk about conditions were what the conditions were before COVID-19. You should have been prepared, and arguably, most experts say the outcome didn't have to be this bad. My three points. Political. It's the policy, stupid. Both parties talk about coronavirus and its effect on society, economics, and inaction. Both parties talked about violence, law, and order, and the response from city, local, state, and federal government entities. In the upcoming debates, there will, will there be any discussions on income inequality, subpar education, the incredible increase in military spending, and the decrease in the social safety networks. There is no need to discuss personality traits of either candidates. That's baked in. But they can talk about health care and how the pandemic has exposed the utter helplessness of the underinsured. 
in the wealthiest nation on earth, how is it that we also have the poorest health outcome of its citizens? How can there be a discussion about law, order, and race when the cause of the lawlessness is seen through the eyes of the unaffected? Everybody was talking about these events, but how they came about and who is and was responsible was as if we were living in two entirely different lands. The comments are as if there's no one in charge now. The Trump administration has been in charge for three and a half years. He is the incumbent. He is running for re-election. How is it then that this is Biden's America? Is there any need to show how little power there is in the minority party in Congress? The power in national politics always resides in the Senate majority. The Senate majority is run by Mitch McConnell. The president's closest allies are Lindsey Graham, Tom Cotton, and Mark Meadows, all Republicans. How do you continue to blame the party that is not in power? Then there's the claim of racial justice reform healthcare and pre-existing conditions, funding for HBCUs, and the claim by President Trump of doing more for the African-American community than Abraham Lincoln. He also has said, I've done more for Christianity than perhaps Jesus Christ. The claims of great trade, trade deals, ending wars, and bringing home the troops, the best economy ever, the Biden and radical left want to defund the police, turn America into a socialist society. How come when large corporations get big tax breaks or government subsidies, such as the agriculture industry, that's not considered socialist. But when the least of these, the poor and undeserved, seek help from the government, it is called socialism. The Republican National Committee platform was simply to support Donald Trump. What happens when you have a platform that is supporting a candidate that may not be on the ballot? Who is responsible for the economy, the postal service? And might I remind all, it is a service, not a business. Who says publicly that we support our military, but not, but does not respond to allegations of a foreign adversary placing bounties on that very same military. And please explain to me how a military is weakened when the budget is at least five to seven times larger than the next seven countries. How can a military be weak when, if not another dime is spent or weapon added, this military, this country, has the ability to destroy the world several times over. In 2015, one-sixth of, one of federal spending goes to national defense. In 2019, according to the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, 8% of the federal budget supported programs that provide aid to individuals and families facing hardships. In 2018, the military budget was $800 billion 
in peacetime. If you cut that total in half, $400 billion, America's military budget is still larger than the next five countries combined. Those five countries are China, Russia, North Korea, Iraq, and Iran. There's 140 million poor people are living in poverty. 62 million not earning the living wage. 700 people a day are dying because of poverty. 87 million people uninsured before COVID-19. Another 27 million because of job loss do not have insurance. 40% of those making less than $40,000 a year have lost their jobs. Now that money, $400 billion, is money that could add to infrastructure, health care, living wage. Did you know that 53 cents of every discretionary dollar goes to the military industrial complex? Not on soldiers' pay, benefits, and retirement. Much more of it goes toward the business of war corporations and others who benefit from such a business model they are building things the pentagon did not even ask for according to a documentary called america's untold history arguably world war ii started the concept of using war to justify the creation and showcase america's military might by the first gulf war there was no doubt as to why wars were being waged. At least part of the reason was to test and showcase the latest, greatest tools of warfare. And it must be noted the importance economics played in the decision of creating the war industrial complex and the deceit involved with persuading the political leaders to believe and accept the conclusion of those in charge. In other words, the, the Congress deceived the decision makers. It was just a con job about saying how foreign entities, Russia, China, was closing in on America's supremacy in, uh, in warfare. Oh yeah, of that 53, 53 cents, only 16 cents goes toward infrastructure, health, education, and public housing. Now, that's the range from 2015 to the last available information, which was 2018. Finally, how does one with a track record that includes at least five bankruptcies and a $400 million nest, nest egg brag about being a great businessman? How does one brag about making America great again, again? There is much joy in creating 9 million jobs in three months, unless you remind people of the 22 million jobs lost in the previous two months. How is it that major campaign promise was to build a wall and have Mexico pay for it, and when that does not happen, one of your top advisors and campaign manager has fraud charges brought against him for milking donations to build the wall, and you have no comment.
you express no outrage. Anyway, all these claims and statements can easily be, be proven false or misleading. Let's not forget the radical left, as Democrats are often called, who have a reputation for taking their most loyal constituents for granted. They are always seeking to get the white working man vote while asking the black female voters for continued support when in reality, this block has voted in excess of 90% for the past three elections. The Republican Party talks about pulling yourself up by the bootstrap. The Democratic Party don't want to talk about poor people, only talk about how it affects the middle class. Is it possible that the American people might just think differently from the political parties? Is it possible that the American people might want some type of remedy or aid for the least of these, the widow and the immigrants? Point number two, culture. It is what it is. Police brutality. Please help me understand why it is so hard for people to understand how upsetting it is, and it should be universal, that there is anger that black people are being killed, shot, beat down, and punished for something white folks take for granted. Please try and understand the absolute struggle I have and try not to fall into the made-up construct of black and white people. Do you remember the uproar about Trayvon Martin and George Zimmerman? This happened in 2012. George Zimmerman was a white neighborhood watchman who, with his experience and expertise, decided that Trayvon looked suspicious. A physical confrontation confrontation was the result of Mr. Zimmerman pursuing Mr. Martin after the police dispatch operator advised against it. Mr. Martin was shot and killed as a result. There was protest, but I don't remember buildings burning. There was riot, and the sides had gathered. Gun rights on one side and BLM on the other. As a matter of fact, uh, that incident is credited as the inspiration for the BLM movement, which is Black Lives Matter. Eric Gardner, Michael Brown, Walter Scott, Philando Castile, all black men killed by white cops, all unarmed for an alleged crime that even if proven true, should not result in death. My point in all of this, the president at that time, Barack Obama, did not aggravate the situation by pitting one side against the other, by being so divisive, by not having a healing voice for the entire nation, not Republicans versus Democrats, promoting law and order and not distinguishing between looters, protests, and risers. That was under Barack Obama, all of these killings took place. What is, happening, what is happening now is nothing new, at least not since 1915, and the screening of the birth of a nation was screened in the White House under President Woodrow Wilson. 
I dare you to research President Wilson and look for the name William Monroe Trotter. What you are looking for is the meeting with President Wilson on November 12, 1914. And you will find out the question asked by Mr. Trotter and the answer given by President Wilson. History assignment given. New, now back to President, that's a history assignment given. Now back to President Obama. He made a comment after Trayvon's death. He simply said, that could have been my son and was ridiculed and accused of playing the race card by his political rivals, a.k.a. the Republicans, for making a statement that could be true. Now, with all that being said by President Trump, nary a word has been said by Republican senators and congressmen. Last week, America watched in horrors as a teenager who is not old enough to vote join the military or have a beer was roaming the streets to help restore order. 17 years old, carrying an AR-15 or some type of automatic rifle. He should be home and out, out off the streets. Wasn't a curfew in effect? Was he not subject to the curfew? After all, he was coming from out of town. What is he doing there? Where's his parents? Now, instead of preparing for college or the military, he is in danger of being convicted of a felony which may result in his spending life in jail. And who thinks that act is worthy of praise? No matter what side of the aisles you are on, how could law enforcement allow, sit, and make no response to any person running in the street with folks in those same streets shouting, this person just shot someone. Be honest now. If that was a young African-American male, young or old, there is no way he would have been able to freely run down the street with a long gun in his possession without being shot. Young Kyle Rittenhouse, a white male, now compare him to Jacob Blake, unarmed, dangerous circumstances to say the least but unarmed and was shot seven times in the back. Mr. Blake is paralyzed from the waist down. The president of the United States goes to town and can't make or take the time to talk to Mr. Blake's family. He compares that shooting by a trained professional, a government-sponsored officer who has the power of life and death in his hands. Yes, it's a dangerous job. Yes, it takes a special brave person to handle it, but to compare that type of responsibility to a golfer choking in a three-foot putt, that's what President Trump did. We have one of the two major political parties never having to mention the possibility that cops are killing unarmed black men unnecessarily so. Even if they were charged with the crime, America has a system of justice in place that has standards for crime, and nowhere does the punishment cause for death for such things as counterfeit bills, sleeping in your car, or being in the middle of a domestic dispute. Let me just also say, a murder indictment is a hard charge to prove, 
As I understand it, the definition of murder is based upon intent. All of that is a discussion for another day. But what about qualified immunity? The theory of law enforcement officers, this is the theory of law enforcement officers who can justify their actions based on fear. What about the power of the police unions and their unwavering support of their members? How is it there appears to be no accountability? These are public jobs, and yet they are afforded multiple opportunities to collaborate their stories. They are always in suspicion with pay. Can we at least charge them with manslaughter, second-degree murder? When somebody is killed by a drunk driver or a car accident, no matter their remorse and intent, there is still a price to pay. How come the family is expected to understand or be quiet? How come the victim's entire life history is put on display and the cop's life is not? His work history is completely private. This latest series of protests is not just black people, but a diverse array of citizens, young, old, black, white, and gay, they all see the injustice. Doc Rivers, the championship winning coach of the Los Angeles Clippers, said it best. All this talk about fear, and we are the ones getting shot, hung, and abused. Why is it we love America? whatever reason, America does not love us back. Paraphrasing that. This past couple of weeks, three major events happened in the past 60 years. The March on Washington featuring MLK Jr., which sparked the nation and the Congress to the eventual legislation of the Civil and Voting Rights Act. Eight years after the Emmett Till murder, and now all these years later, the nation is having the same arguments. Full-time, good-paying employment for everybody, equal justice under the law, safety nets for all the citizens, health care, and hospitalization. Go to the tape. If you find video and photos of the 1963 March on Washington, you will see the very same questions being asked and on protest signs. Voter suppression, police brutality, discrimination in public schools, racism, income inequality, 57 years later. And speaking of this perceived violence by protesters, the murder of Emmett Till, which really helped to speed up the pace and necessity of the march, was eight years earlier. If you are not familiar with the Till case, educate yourself, please. But the synopsis of it all is based on a lie. 14-year-old Emmett Till was brutally murdered for nothing more than whistling at a white woman. 16 days after the march, the bombing took place in Birmingham at the 16th Avenue Baptist Church, resulting in the death of four young teenage girls. Conviction versus compromise. That is a fair question. Many times when you have compromise, your convictions are watered down and you end up settling. There has been much
much rhetoric about crime rates rising in New York or anywhere else. So I checked. Since 1994, crime has, and I mean major crimes, decreased every year with the exception of 2015 and 2016 according to multiple sources i happen to use the source the journal of economic perspective as my source to be fair there has been an uptake uptick in murder in major cities over the past two years but the question has to be 185,000 deaths due to covid 19 in comparison. Point number three, spiritual. It's humanity, stupid. I have been taking the cue from an old political consultant for the Clinton campaign slogan about the virtue and value of economics to the American voter. He says, simply put, to his opponent and anyone else listening, it's the economy, stupid. And my comment about humanity, stupid, for the masses to think about our current situation here in America in particular and the world in general. As the business world is made whole, the corporations are made whole, the stock market hits record numbers, it still comes down to humanity. I am concerned with the idea that there appears to be no cohesive message of concern for the East of these from major religious leaders and denominations. We all can't agree on every aspect, but the measuring stick should be biblically based. Religious nationalism, which is questionable in itself, right? Religious nationalism. There appears to be more concern that the Bible is strictly and without question against the gay community, abortion rights, gun control, tax cuts, and prayer in school. There is documented evidence of abortion that has been has been on a steady decline since the Clinton administration. That abortion is legal, and even now, 70% of Americans support abortion. Biblically speaking, there is no direct mention of abortion. Arguably, there are several there are several interpretations of what that means. But God is all knowing, and as a believer, I will end this part of the conversation with Isaiah fifty five and eight. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. To continue this portion of the conversation will require much more time and participation from many others, and you know that it will not be the end. But the Bible should be the standard bearer. The book of Matthew is a good place to start, particularly 25, Matthew 25 verses 31 through 46. And that is when I was that and that is when it says, "When I was sick, did you care and show compassion? How do you treat the widow, the children, and the immigrant?" According to Reverend Dr. William Barber, the national spokesman for the Poor People's Campaign, the national spokesperson for the Poor People's Campaign and the founder, co-founder of Repairers of the Breach, the nation must repent. We are on a moral decline and silence is not an option. We must cry out like the prophet Amos 
and speak to power and demand reform of all kinds. Healthcare, education, public housing, and especially immigration. How can anyone made in the image of God be called illegal? We must have a living wage. We must redress money from tax breaks given to the riches and corporations to assist and lift up the least of these. We must have access and make investments for everybody, not the just of favor. Don't punish people for policies that purposely and with viciousness take blame, take and blame others for incompetence and cruelty. We, we have policies that continue to provide for those who have the most and marginalize the least. We already have a revised version of Jim Crow. Do not let a revised version of the Southern Strategy come alive again. As I am writing my comments, newsflash, another officer involved shooting of another young black male. According to NPR reports, he was shot and killed for an initial stop for a cone violation. Wait for it. A cone violation on riding a bicycle. A bike. Now, to be fair, the report was that there was a brief scuffle and the sheriff got punched in the face. During the scuffle, the suspect ran and he dropped what appeared to be a bundle of clothes and a gun fell out. The report does not say it was loaded, but it does say he was running away. The sheriff, upon seeing the gun, began to fire on the suspects. On the suspect. Reports say it could have been as many as 20 shots. He was shot in the back. There was no explanation as to why the necessity of the shooting, no explanation as to what the code violation was. But let's go back to the discussion at hand. Humanity, should that have any concern for anybody? Even if there is a crime committed, don't we have a criminal justice system that determines guilt or innocent, a punishment that fits the crime, surely there's nobody that would agree that jogging, sleeping in your car, or in your bed, or attempting to settle a dispute does not warrant, does warrant multiple shots by police. I don't want to concentrate on the recent killings because I want to focus on the humanity of mankind for the most part. And yet these shootings are becoming a regular occurrence. If this was happening to anyone else or any segment of society, there would be outrage. As I close, I thought this was in the abstract, meaning I have never personally felt the effects of federal decisions and laws. I make, I make too much money to get all the necessary and available aid and too little money to get all the available tax breaks and such. But what is going on now, when the president and his administration are constantly lying to the public and making horrible comparisons, which can easily be proven false, when his allies in Congress, the Republicans, say nothing, he has done more in three and a half years than anybody else. The insane idea of drinking disinfectant disinfected to help with the pandemic, help against the pandemic, that there have been bounties placed on soldiers in combat, 
even if it is not true, but not to even comment or even address it. He has undercut NATO, pulled out of the WHO, World Health Organization, and various accords from previous administrations. He has tried to run the government like a business. This is not to single out a party, but as an American citizen, this has to matter. The truth should matter. Character should matter. Stop dividing the nation based on lies. Have a battle of ideas and proven methods. There is a noticeable difference in responses depending on what particular political party is in power. I am on furlough through no fault or working conditions or performance. A decision was made and the promise was for us to have and expect full contact on a daily basis as to the decisions that would be made that would affect our return. That has not happened. And the further along it goes, the less reason I have to trust my leaders. Honesty and integrity does matter. So I look at this situation and I try to analogically compare what has happened to Main Street and what has happened to Wall Street. In this analogy, I am Main Street and the decision makers and their allies, allies are Wall Street. Does it really matter how much money you have or made or the nation's wealth if you don't, can't, or won't care of its citizens? For what shall it profit a man he should gain the whole world but lose his soul. This is Larry Hogan, your host for the podcast. Where do we go from here? Answer. Forward. Thank you.